0: Well, I would mention that today is uh, the day of my installation as pastor. It, it sounds like you're pursuing the whole light bulb and putting a new one like in. I don't know whether I'm going to be with we do one, but uh, today we're going to be reading Romans chapter 3. And as you might have guessed, we've been speaking today about grace. Romans 3, 21. But now, our righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference for all who sin and come short of the glory of God. And justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came from Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because it is forbearance. He had left the sins from uh, sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate the justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who is justified who has saved in Christ. Where then is most of It is excluded on what principle? On that, observing the law uh, on that faith. <coughs> Do you know what we to pray? God, we thank you for this day. A day dedicated to worshiping you, to serving you, to loving you. And God, we remember all the good things you have done. God has given us a life, given us families, including this church family. We pray your blessings from all that are here, those that are only in trouble. Father, watch over us, and us, especially spiritually, not only physically and emotionally. God, let our hearts be to you. Be with us as we the Word. We pray, God, that you might speak to each one of us. Thank you for your word, for the direction that it gives us in this life, that we might follow Christ in our faith. In his precious name, we pray. Amen. Grace, mercy. I think it's one of the most misunderstood of all of the topics that we talk about as believers. That's because in human life we judge other people and things by a certain performance level. We judge people by how good looking they are, how much money they might have. How kind they unkind, be, how generous or unkind or ungenerous. We judge them by their performance of life. But God's grace is not dependent upon any of those. In my life, I've lived in Canada, the United States, and Mexico now. And each country has laws, and each country has rules. But if you're going to try to find God, you're not going to find them by insulting a lawyer. Sorry about that, sir. You're not going to find it by insulting law or laws or rules, because those have nothing to do now with our relationship with God. Now, in defining something, often we think what it's not, and then what it is. So, I'm going to kind of do that. Then, first of all, God's grace does not depend on who we are. You know, in the church, uh, many churches, we call people saints. In the Baptist Church, we didn't do that because in the New Testament, when Paul is talking about the saints, he's just talking about the Christians. And so he writes to the saints at Rome, he writes to the saints in Corinth, the saints at Ephesus, and uh, it's okay to think of people as being saints because The word saint actually means a holy one. Now we know in fact that none of us are holy. Not really. We are God's people when we strive towards holiness, but we never attain that in this life. That's true also in the Bible. I want to look at some of the saints that we have from the Bible. First of all, there's Saint Mary. And Mary was a very special woman. And but the angel said to her when she was to be conceived uh, for the Christ child that uh, she was favored and all the nations were going to be blessed because of what she had done. Certainly, there was something special about her because God chose her to bear the Christ child to rear him as well, and that's special. But that she was not without sin. Bible well, says that all sin and come short of the glory of God. It says that there is none that is righteous, and not one. Now, in the 19th century, uh, there was a teaching about called uh, the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. When I first heard that, I thought it was referring to Jesus, but it's not. It is referring to Mary. And the idea is that because a mother is probably closer to someone just about anybody else, that Mary was not only special, but she had to be without sin as well. And so she had to have an immaculate conception as well. But nothing in the Bible bears that out. She has never called one who was without sin. She is like all the rest of us,
1: and and, and she needed to be saved as well.
0: I love the song by Mark Lowry, Mary did you know and it says there the one, did you know that the one that you delivered will one day deliver you some even prayed to Mary I was watching a show with my wife and uh, in the series people kept going to the statue of Mary and they would talk to her and they would pray to her I guess for the idea that the mother had to son. That's not what the Bible says. In 1 Timothy 2.5 it says there that uh, there's one mediator between God and Him. That mediator is Jesus Christ. Mary though she was honored by God was not without sin. Saint Mary even as a saint needed a savior in his life. Her life just like all of us. Well, then there was Saint Peter. Now, some declared that Peter was the first Pope, no evidence of that. And if he was, it wasn't because he did not make a lot of mistakes in his life. You remember, he was impetuous a lot of times, and when Jesus said he was going to to die, Peter said, uh, No, no. Jesus said, get behind me, Peter. And then uh, Peter denied Jesus not one time, but he denied three times. And when Jesus looked at him after Jesus had been captured, Peter went out and he wept literally for that. There was the other occasion where Peter jumped out of the boat because Jesus was walking on the water, and Peter thought that looked pretty neat, and so he said, What well, can I come? And Jesus said yes, and jumped out walking on the water. Until the Bible says he saw the wind and he began to sink because he lost his faith and he had to cry out, "Lord, help me!" Even after the resurrection, Peter wasn't perfect. God sent him a vision of the Gentiles, declaring that they were not unclean. So he did go to the house of Cornelius and led the household to the Lord. But even after that, Paul had to go to Peter because of his prejudice against the Gentiles. He had to chastise St. Peter. St. Peter. He was saved just like the And this Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, but he did not start out that way. In fact, uh, he was persecuting Christians, driving many of the court to be tried but in addition to that, he actually was the only bird. He was there when Stephen, one of the first demons, was stoned to death, preaching the gospel. And the garments of Stephen were laid at the feet. Saul and later Paul. The Lord met on the road to Damascus, and he turned his life around. But later on, when he was looking back at why God had selected him, he, was, he had committed this great sin against God. All that he could think of was it was because of God's grace. He actually called himself chief of the sinners because of what he had done. St. Paul was the the savior. You know that I uh, was in prison, not as an envy, but as a chaplain to start out and later a warrior. And while I was chaplain, we got some inmate chaplains. They had been through New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary and they were sent out to in the prisons. And there was one man by the name of Arthur. And Arthur had committed some really bad things in his life. He had done some things, he broke the law, and he got a very long sentence. And he became, I think, the greatest pastor I had ever met. He voluntarily sailed the worst dog so that he could have an impact on the young days as they were coming in. He went around every day and he would visit people in the cell block that nobody else wanted to have anything to do with. It. Sometimes he would preach a sermon to one guy, although the others down here, and he also here. A great man of God. I'm going to Louisiana in July because they're meditating education building after my deceased wife. And I'm going to speak there. But it's also the day that i will before know the Lord of the Lord. And I have the privilege of going and speaking on that him. Praise God. I hope He gives out. Great man of God. He'll have an impact on the outside just as He did on the inside. But know this. Every one of us and everybody that has been declared a saint is in need of a savior. Nobody is able to do it by himself, except one. Jesus, who died on the cross, was raised from the dead on the third day. Grace doesn't depend upon who we are. Then the second thing, grace does not depend upon what we do. This is the hardest to understand. In the Titus 3 Bible it says, not by words of righteousness, according to his mercy. You don't become a Christian. You don't get saved by being a good person. I, I go around in my life, I've talked to a lot of people about Jesus. And the response I sometimes get well often people say, well, you know, I'm better than most other people. I do these good things. In fact, I'm a whole lot better than those hypocrites in the church. (laughs) I may be true. But there's one difference between those hypocrites and this person. The hypocrites know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and He has redeemed them, He has saved them from all their sins. And this man that has never made a decision has not done that. I've looked at a lot of religions in the world. And I find something in common for what they believe is going to happen to God, whether it's to go to Jerome or wherever. They believe that you have to do a lot of good things in order to be acceptable to God. And so if you picture most of it at the religions of the world, it's like a balancing scale. And when you get to the end of the way, if you get things outplay the bad. then you may be the one to but if the bad outweighs the good, we don't make it. There is no balance in scale in Scale is thrown out because Christ did everything that could be done. And so our works, the good things that we do, did not contribute anything at all to our salvation. It was all done once and for all by Jesus Christ. And you we can't do anything to improve like on that. You are declared perfect because Christ died for all of your sins. Not just the summer. The Bible says that the best that you do all of your good works are like filthy rags before God. Filthy rags. That's all that you can do. That's the best that you can produce. It is not enough because the Bible says be perfect as God Himself is perfect. We're not we never will be there. Everything has to be done by Jesus Christ, or well, by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Well, that means for us, we have salvation, and that means that when you become a believer, the first stage of what is called salvation. Uh, all of your sins, it doesn't matter how bad you've been or what kinds of sins you might have committed, you might be like Paul and have committed murder. You know, God will forgive that. And he does. All of the sins in the past are forgiven. That's sometimes called being born again. That's the term that Jesus used, by the way. He said, You must be born again. It is called, so it's called uh Redemption, that's, that's another term that is used, and that means you are like a slave and he paid the price for your sins. Uh, it is called sometimes justification, like a courtroom and you're declared not guilty, not because you didn't commit the crime, but because Jesus has already paid the price and there's no more price to pay. First stage of salvation. And then there's the second stage of salvation. And that's what goes on right now in your life. And you are to become more holy. And all of the past sins and even the present sins are already forgiven. I hear people say, what happens if you sin and you die? What happens if you commit suicide? How can you be forgiven? The reason is that when you accepted Christ every sin was already forgiven. There is nothing more to be added to that. Every sin, past sins, present sins, while you're working towards glorification, all of that is already forgiven. And then there's the Bible says, you know, you can describe this as, I have been saved when you came to Christ. I am now being saved as you become more like Christ that part, you have to work out your salvation, work out your sanctification with fear and trembling, becoming more holy and then the Bible says there's another stage of salvation when you get to heaven. That's called glorification and that's when somehow God's going to make us free of sin. We're not going to be sinning anymore and we are going to be like Him, we are going to see Him as He is, the Bible says. All of our sins, past past Present, already forgiven by Christ. That's a hard thing to understand. You know, I didn't understand that until I went to university. I've been raised in church. You had Sunday school teachers that sometimes say things like, uh, if you're not a good little boy, let's see, you know, I'm going to love you. But terrible theology that is. Your works. Following the laws, obeying all the rules, giving charitably, uh, serving God with the kind. None of those have anything to do with your salvation because we can't save ourselves. All that we can do is receive. Not do it. It doesn't matter what you've And God's grace doesn't depend upon how you eat. Yeah, sometimes uh, you know we human beings are up and we we uh, go all over the world course life. Uh, when you first come to Christ, that's a joyful experience, but that's not gonna last all your life. Uh, there's going to come a time when you're gonna have a downside. You're gonna be in the valley, you're not always up on the mountain. There's a friend of mine, I don't know if you've ever been, but I don't seen you never met once like for the same by cold. So he had some real highs and he had some terrible lows. He didn't go through awful impressions. There's some medication that you felt there a bit. But listen, even though you may feel God's million miles away, and even though it feels, though your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and coming back and never getting to God, God has never moved. He's exactly where he always was in your life. You might not feel God, but God is always there. Your feelings do not determine the relationship with God. Thank goodness your thyroid gland does not break you from God's relationship. God wants to have that relationship with you. It's going to be there even when you don't feel like it's there. It is. Now, we have some uh, questions. uh, we're, we're Presbyterian, by the way. Yeah, even though I'm a uh, Reform Baptist, but Presbyterian, we believe that once a person is saved, that he's going to be saved throughout his life. It is not something that you gain and lose and gain and lose. And uh, the reason for that is that Christ is going to hold you to sin, and you know you don't you don't lose your salvation just because you commit a sin. I I, I pray tonight. I asked God to forgive my sins and I asked God not to let me commit the same things over and over again but I still did You did too. You're not perfect. But by God's grace, we are forgiven. And when we feel like God is not there, He is always there. He saved us in the past. He saved us in the present. He saved us. My last point is the cause of God's grace is primarily in favor of something that we don't consider. We have hope in the future. Hope was imparted in the Old Testament. Hope was imparted in the New Testament. But during the period, 500 years or so between, they seem to have lost their hope. Hope is so important. Hope involves two things. First of all, it involves a promise. God's promised you His mercy, His grace, His salvation. And uh, the Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life. You might know, that, that may be so. Not think so, not, not perhaps so. But you may know. There ought to be no doubt in your mind. When you one day stand before God and he says, Why should I let to my death? you in my heaven? You can't say, Well, I, you know, I was a good person, I went to church. Nothing to do with it. You can say, by the grace of Christ, I think it's planning on doing this, but let me do it anyway. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but there was an old black preacher during the Civil War that was converted. After the Civil War, he was free. He often talked about uh, a picture of heaven. Great preaching, white people, and white people all came here to hear John Jasper preach. And uh, he, it's hard to do this in white and but he pictured himself as standing before the angel trying to get into heaven. And the angel said, John Jasper, why are you trying to he said, Oh, my angel, I ain't planning on coming in here under my own mirrors. But I plan on coming in under the mirrors of Jesus. The angel says, Oh, come on in, John. John I can't bother doing Nobody would talk like that. But that's exactly right. The door is not barred. It's anyone. It's Jesus That is our hope. English has. Three words, I mentioned this before. he must has three words for the uh the Spanish. It is to wait, it is to hope, it is, it is to expect. I often wondered how how do parents say to their kids, when I said my kids, I expect you to clean your room. There was no hope in it. <laughs> Now, what if, I don't know, maybe there's a way to do this in Spanish. Uh, when a Spanish parent says, I guess for and you're going to clean the room, and they do not getting done. They, they, they go to the parents and say, oh, well, you know, you said you hoped I get it done, The whole thing." you did realize. But what I expected is something that I planned on. It's absolutely going to happen. You know, I was talking to my son. Our hope of heaven is not just some possibility. It is an expectation that one day we're going to stand before the throne of God. That we are to be going to be there. There is a promise that we know we have salvation. There is an expectation that we're going to be before the throne of God. I'm going to read uh, this verse from Ephesians two ninety nine. It's one of my favorite in the Bible. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not for yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now I think about this. Salvation is a gift from God. And you cannot make it away. Sometime I'm going to share something about one of my sons. but I'm not going to name them. One of my sons, I, I decided that, you know, I, I had a whole funds, funds and so I, I gave him some money for the whole lot, but it wasn't a tiny bit either. And I knew that he used that to buy something special or maybe you know, his house something and would last him a long time, but that would be a good thing. Well, as it turned out, he took that hard-earned money that I gave him. And decided to go out and splurge one night with a friend, and I was not all that impressed. The and they went out, and I guess they ate, and they drank, and they party, and uh, the money was gone. And so I asked him about it. I said, "You know, I was expecting that you would take that money and do something to improve your life." He said, "Well, Danny, he gave it." To me. You don't get the control of that. I thought about that. And he was exactly right. I have given it to him, and so I don't control the gift after it has been given. I have not given him funds like that again. <laughs> I have given him things that would be more in a part in of what I was expecting for the first time. God gives us. Gift of salvation. To be never removed. That's what grace is all about. That's why it is so hard to understand. And why, in, even in Christian denominations and believers, we keep trying to put ourselves back under the law, thinking that God expects us to follow all these rules or we're going to lose it. You're not going to lose it.
1: You can't lose it because it is.
0: From the first and